There was a great architect of Torah, Yiddishkeit in America that everybody should know, I'm sure most people do. Um, his name was Roshraga Feivel Mendelovitz. And if you don't know who he is, then you're really uh, missing out on a lot of Akaras HaTayv that you owe and that we all owe uh, to one man who literally revolutionized the face of Torah in America. Uh, he lived uh, in the early part of the 1900s. That's when he did his, uh, his great mission for Klal Yisrael. Uh, he started the first uh, major yeshiva in Teravadas, uh, where he was the Menile. He, uh, he started the first summer camp in the mountains. He made a, a kailel. He started the Torah Masera movement, which is really the Jewish uh, Hebrew day school movement that planted day schools that many of us attended all across the fruited plain of America. And when he died, Rev. Aaron Kotler said about him that you would have to have a thousand communal leaders to replace this one man. That's the force of, uh, to reckon with that Rav Shrago was. If you're interested in learning more about him, there's a wonderful biography that we have down in our Gedalim biography uh, bookcase, uh, and as well as I think we have it in the library here also. Uh, it's very uh, interesting reading, and it's a very important reading, because you see that uh, what one man could do how one single individual could literally change the trajectory of, of a world. And there are many echidim, by the way, throughout history that did similar things in different continents and different eras, but uh, never think that a human being cannot accomplish great things because one single person can very often do uh, the unthinkable if he just merely or she merely just puts her mind to it. So let me tell you a vart that Rav Shraga Feivel used to say on davening in Rosh Hashanah davening. Mitzvah Shem, we're going to be saying it in a couple of days from now. Speaking about how in Rosh Hashanah kizecher kal ma'isa lefanecha ba Hakadosh Baruch Hu remembers everything. Rosh Hashanah is a yem azikarin. It's a day that everything that we've done in our lives, specifically in the last year comes before the Rabbani Shalom and he judges us based on it. Sometimes we did very good this year, we get credit for that. If we didn't, uh, we could get chas v'sham, the opposite. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu judges us based on our own actions. And that we know. Ki kal ba. And then the tefillah goes, maisa ish, which means the actions of man. Like I just said, whatever you did, every single day, whatever you did right and whatever you did wrong, everything is being judged, is scrutinized, is analyzed. On this day of Rosh Hashanah, Sifrei Chaim, Sifrei Mesim, Psuchim Lefanov, the books of life and death are open before him, and he's judging us. But then, the tefillah takes a, uh, a very strange turn, and it says, besides from Maisa Ish, it says, Ufkudasai, one word. The actions of man, Ufkudasai, and man's mission. Pekuda is like a lashon of uh, to assign, to assign something. Yifkai delikim, uh, to assign, to designate. So we're being judged for our actions. Maisaish, that's pashat. Ufkudasai is something that needs a hezbra. What does that mean? That the tefillah is saying that our 
actions are being judged and our mission is being judged. What is that extra word, mission? And Rav Shagafaival says that every single person, and this is such an important concept to think about and to contemplate, especially as we're going into a brand new, fresh year, we're being judged in life not only about what we did right and what we did wrong. That's what we learned in day school, maybe, in high school, in Eretz Yisrael. We were told that we're being judged on whether we're good boys, bad boys, do we do mitzvahs, averis, how do they weigh up against each other, the scales of judgment, how, do our, uh, how many averis do we have versus how many mitzvahs do we have, how weighty was each mitzvah versus how weighty was each avera. But there's another thing that man is judged for, and that is, besides for what you've done right and wrong, where are you holding in terms of accomplishing your own unique mission in life? And that might come as a little bit of a, of a shock to certain people, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not expect us all to be the same, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants each and every one of us to be unique. And he has, when he, when we were conceived, when we were born, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had in mind a unique plan for you and for me. And we're judged on Rosh Hashanah, not just the Maiseish, but how does the Maiseish intersect with Puhudasai? It's not just, maybe I did a, maybe I was batting a thousand this year in terms of I did, I came to davening every day, I learned every day, I gave tzedakah as I should, and I, uh, I was a nice person, I was a Baal Chesed. That might be great, but you may not have gotten a thousand, maybe not even a hundred of the kudasai. Have you accomplished what you were supposed to accomplish? That's the question. A man like Rav Shagar Feibel could ask such a, a question of us, and he could say this vart because he fully understood this concept of a, of a mission. He had a personal mission statement, and he understood his power, he understood his potential, he understood exactly what he needed to do. He came to these shores of America, of America and he set out with a burning fire in his eyes and in his belly to do everything and everything that he could for Kleisel. He wasn't relying on anybody. He didn't say, you know what, let somebody else do it. He understood inherently, this is my mission. I cannot give it away. I cannot uh, um, assign it, designate it to somebody else. I can't outsource it. I have to do it all on my own. And he did it all on his own. He did the work of a thousand men because he understood exactly what his mission was. The problem with us is that we don't understand our mission and we don't know our mission or we don't care to know about our mission. And so we go through our lives just trying to get through, which is sometimes understandable because sometimes we're not looking to thrive, we're just looking to survive. But that's a shame because every single person does have a purpose here. And your purpose is not the same as my purpose. Every single person has their own unique mission and purpose in life. And when they come to this point of the year, Rosh Hashanah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu opens up not just the books of, of how much Averis and mitzvahs, that too, but did you do what I wanted you to do? Can you say mission accomplished for Tavshanai and Gimel? I did what, uh, what I... What I uh, 
Tavshim Pegimel? What are we up to? What? Pay, right. Tavshim Pegimel, nobody stop me. Tavshim Pegimel, did I accomplish what I was supposed to? Now Tavshim Pegimel is rolling along. Am I... Am I going to be able to accomplish my mission that? And then, at the end of my whole life, I could look back and say, I was Makai in my mission. I was Makai in my mission. Mission accomplished. The Mesul Sisharim has a, a way that he starts out that my Rebbe used to say, you have to know the first parak of Mesul Sisharim by heart. And for a while, I committed a good part of it to memory, but the first line is very telling of the Mesosi Sharm, of the first parak of Mesosi Sharm. But after his famous Hakdama, where he says that there's nothing new in this whole book, you're not going to find anything new. You know, it's, it's funny for an author to start out with such a disclaimer that says, Don't buy this book. If you're looking for something new, there's nothing new. And of course, uh, you know, it's, many people question that Hakdama because, like Rabbi Victor Miller, has a Hakdama. Uh, to a translation of Mesos Sharim, and he writes in it that, I don't know what he's talking about, because every, every line in the Mesos Sharim is new. There's chidushim to be found in every single line in the Mesos Sharim. But whatever the Mesos Sharim meant, he said there's nothing new. That's his, that's his haktam, and that's his preface to his book. And he says that I'm just writing things that we know are true, we understand our basics are foundational, but sometimes when things are very basic and, and obvious... That's precisely when you need to repeat them and review them, and that's the purpose of my Sefer. And then the Ramchal starts out with the Yudke Vovke Rashi Tevis, as many authors do, in their beginnings of their Sefer, they choose four words to start out Yudke Vovke. Yisait ha-chasidos v'shayresh ha-tmima. That the Yisait of chasidos, the, not chasidos in the... In the uh, you know, the way we consider chasidus. Chasidus means, as he puts it later, um, to do nachas ruach How do we give extra nachas to Rabbi Yisrael? That's how the Ramchal defines chasidus. What is the Yisaita chasidus? What is the point of a person that really wants to, to, to crush it in life in terms of zero shamayim? She yisparer v'yisames adam that it should be clear and it should be true. Eitzel adam to a person... What is his obligation in life? But he doesn't say He says Every single person, every individual has to think and contemplate and it has to be true to him. It has to be crystal clear to him. My personal obligation in my personal world, not your world, and not your obligation. If I'm looking and I'm running a race against you all the time and you are doing this and therefore I'm copying you, then I might go through life and be successful in whatever I chose to do, but it wasn't really my choice. I was just copying you. I was just doing it because that seemed to be the expedient thing to do at the time, but I never stopped and said, but is that my mission in life? I know it's his mission maybe, but what his mission is and what my mission is is two completely different things. It's machai basai, what is your obligation in your own universe? Forget about the rest of the world. The whole world uh, has their own mission statement. But you have to develop and figure out what am I? How am I going to make my unique mark in the world? What am I going to do that will be 
the very purpose, the very essence of my being born, of my being here in this life. What am I doing that is going to bring out something that only I could bring out? Every single person has that. Every single person has a uniqueness to them, a set of talents, a set of interests, a set of, uh, of emotions that he can accomplish or she could accomplish something that nobody else in the world can, will, or should accomplish except for that person. And this is what Rav Shagafayim Mendelovitz is telling us that on Rosh Hashanah, and try to think of this when we're davening this tefillah, that we're going dis- to we're going to remind ourselves that Hakadosh Baruch Hu is judging us on Ish, Yes, what I've done throughout the year, but of Kudasai, what has been my mission, my unique mission? Has I has that been accomplished? Have I been able to touch upon that mission at all? Have I made any progress in accomplishing something that nobody else? is destined to accomplish just me. Now the problem with this is, it sounds really good, but we don't know what our mission statement is. We don't know what it is. If we were born, if every single person was born with some, uh, you know, there was a fortune cookie in our, uh, you know, that comes out with a baby and it says exactly, you know, you are destined to be X and you are destined to be Y, then it would be quite pashitas. Okay, now we have a direction. Now we know exactly where we're heading and now it's just a matter of figuring out what we should do. But we weren't born that way and we have to figure it out on our own. The Ali Shur says something very interesting. If you want to look at it inside... It's in Chelek Bez, um, and he says the following. He says that when we start off learning as children, we learn by imitation. Let's say our mother, she wants to teach us how to, how to speak. So she keeps on you know, saying a word, and eventually we're going to imitate it. So she says, Mommy, you're going to say, the baby might start babbling, but eventually you'll get that word mommy out of the baby because not that it necessarily even knows what mommy means, but it knows how to imitate the mother or, or the father, and it's able to eventually understand that I'm, they're supposed to be walking because they see people around them walking, and you train them how to walk, and they're imitating a walk, and they're imitating uh, the way they act, the way they eat, the way they sleep, they're imitating, and we do this throughout our formative years. Everything is like that. Then we have, um, we go to a yeshiva, and we have a Rebbe that's very inspirational, and he's teaching us how to learn, and we want to be just like that Rebbe. So we start acting like that Rebbe, we start talking like that Rebbe, we start uh, uh, you know, getting his derech halimud, chazering what he says, and trying to say it in just the same way. We might have a friend that teaches us how to play basketball, and, uh, you know, and you, you, you copy his shot, you copy his, his, uh, you know, his layup, you copy the way he dribbles. That's normal. It's imitation. That's how we learn. That's the human way of being able to train ourselves and to develop ourselves. That's very natural. But the Ali Shur cautions us that at one point in our development, once we've absorbed a lot of the imitation, which is so important in the early stage development of, of human life, we have to then at what point 
figure out, okay, I got what my rabbi did, I figured out his derech halimut, I got my basketball dribble, I got my, my free throw shot, and I got my, uh, uh, you know, I got my, the way that I talk, the way I act, the way I walk, the way I dress, the way, I, I have all that, but now I have to figure out how to be me. I don't want to be my, 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 my teacher anymore, I don't want to be my parent anymore, I don't want to be my rabbi anymore, I want to be me, I want to be uniquely me, I want to do what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted from me. I could go through life copying my family, my friends and everything and go through the rest of my life that way and many people do and it might work out for them to a certain degree but they've never ever been introduced to who they themselves are. And that's a shame because we do have a uniqueness to us. We do have an individuality and we deserve to explore that individuality. We deserve to, to start living something that's truly us and unique to us alone. There's a maral in his Drasha L'Shabba and he says that we know one of the earliest episodes in the Torah is Cain and Hevel. Cain and Hevel were obviously brothers. Cain brings a carbon, like a Shvacha carbon. Hevel also brings a carbon. The Hevel Hevi Gamhu, he also decides to bring a carbon. His, his carbon was much fancier carbon. He brought me mibacher sinem, echalvein, spitzi, schmaltzi, animal, very chashva uh, carbon that he brought, much more, much more, you know, pricey, much more valuable than kayans. Vayisha Hashem el hevel v'mchas, and Hakadosh turns and accepts hevel's carbon over kayans. Kayan gets intensely jealous. He gets up and he kills hevel, his brother. So the Maral asks, I don't understand. Hevel just brought a Gishmaka carbon. He just brought a really good carbon. The carbon was not able to protect him from his brother. I mean, you imagine that Carbonus has the ability to be Mechaper for you. You would think that if there was a person that was a Shtickle bulletproof at that point, it was Hevel. And yet Hevel gets killed right after he brings it, moments after he brings the carbon. How could that be? How could it not have protected him? No doubt he, has, he gets schar for that carbon, but it didn't, it didn't provide him any protection. And the Maral says an amazing thing. He says that you know why that carbon did not serve to protect him? Because the carbon was not an original concept of Hevel. The Hevel Hevi Gamhu, he was a copycat. He saw Cain doing it, says, ah, I want to do that also. I'm also going to bring a carbon. Now, there's nothing wrong with that per se. It's good to imitate. Imitation is good, but it's not enough. It's, it's, it's a little bit uh, lacking, deficient in its protection. You get schar for it, just like you get schar for davening because other people are davening, learning because other people are learning, but it's not the same as if it comes from a person himself. If it's just somebody that's doing because somebody else did it, if Hevel is bringing his carbon only because Cain brought it, and that's really what the Pasuk says, Hevel, Avi, Gam, Ho, that extra word, Gam, he also brought it. He was somebody that was a nochmacher, as they say in, uh, in Yiddish. He, he, thought it, he, he did something because he, was, because he was copying somebody else. That's not, that's not the same as doing something original. And in life, you want to be an original. 
and there are elements that you should copy, and it's good to copy, but there's also, there needs to be also a sort of sense of originality that I'm doing something with my own twist, with my own way, with my own aloe. And it's wonderful to incorporate a lot of other people, your Abeim, your Ashishivas, your Mashkichim, your, your friends, your family, take good from everybody and try to, try to amalgamate everything in your Hanhaga. But at the end of the day, it has to be something that you create and it becomes uniquely yours. That You can look in the mirror and say, I know who I am. This is me. I'm not copying everybody else. I, I have taken good from everybody, but now I have to figure out who I am. When Ramnaftali Amsterdam, one of the great Bali Musser, who was a Talmud of Rabbisal Salanter, was on Purim by his Rebbe, by Rabbisal Salanter, there is a, a story that's told, it's probably one of my favorite stories of all of them, because it's so to this point, and I, I feel so strongly about this schmooz, about the uniqueness and the individuality of every person and the importance for us to have that. So Rabbi Naftali Amsterdam was a little shikker, and he comes before Bishal Salanter by the Purim Suda, and he says, Rabbi, he says, if I would only have the cup of the Shagas the mind of the Shagas the brilliant, penetrating, lumdisha cup of the Shagas and if I would have the heart of the Said Vishayar Shabaydu, one of the great Bali Musar, and if I would have Rebbe's Midas Taibes, meaning Rabbi Salanter was perfect in his Midas. We have a million stories about Rabbi Salanter and how he perfected his Midas, how he was always Mushlam, Beinad Mochaveray. He says, if I would be able to take all of that, the brain of the Shagas Aryeh and the heart of the Yisai Bishar and the Midas of Rebbe, Wow, that would be an amazing feat. That would be an amazing accomplishment in my life. If that's what I daven for. I daven to the Rabbi on this Purim that I should have that. I should have the brain of the Shagas Aryeh, the heart of the Seyed and Rebbe's Midas. And he was crying to Rabbi Salsan, that's what I want. Rabbi Salsalanta takes his precious Talmud's head in his hands and he says, Naftali, Naftali, name. He says, you're making a fatal flaw. You're making such a big mistake. He says, with your mind and with your heart and with your midas, that's how you're going to attain perfection. And what Brissel Salanta was saying in a nutshell was, and he's not talking just to Rabbi Naftali, he's talking to each of us, that in life we have to use our mayach and our kayach. We have to use our brain our features, the features that we have, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu endowed to us uniquely. We have wonderful minds, Baruch Hashem. Every mind is different. Some people have a mind that's very analytical. That's very good. If you want to be a lawyer, you want to be a Labdul, a big Talmud Chacham, you want to be a Lamdan, you need such a mind. And you can develop that mind, even if you don't naturally have it. There are ways to develop that. Some people have a very creative mind. 
they're very able to come up with a, you know, with a, a, a brilliant uh, understanding of something that a, an analytical person might not. Be, but they're using their art of creativity. Maybe they, you know, they could write beautiful svarim on chumash or on, uh, on things like that of that nature that would, that chidushim that are of a creative nature, more than of an analytical drilling down nature. It's more dreamy, more in the sky, but also very, very profound. And Lahabdul, if they would want, if they would use their 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 they would be great. Let's say in uh, you know in, in graphic design or in, uh, in 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 writing things and in, in, in being a novelist and being a, an ad agent, somebody that uh, that you need some creativity in order to bring products and bring ideas to the market. And then there are people that have other other types of minds, very witty minds very sharp minds, very uh, brilliant types of minds, but in different ways, and they could use them for technology, for other types of things. But every single person has a uniqueness in their brains. They have a different heart. Some people's heart are very warm, and they're joyous, and they have an ability to bring warmth to every room that they're in, make other people feel great about themselves. That's one type of art. There's a heart that's a little colder, but they're able to, with their heart, be much more matter-of-fact when they have to be. You know, if a, if a surgeon is, uh, you know, is too mushy about everything, he'll never be able to use his scalpel and, do, and accomplish his, what he's supposed to do because he's too emotional about things. He has to have that heart. But whatever it is, you have to use the heart that you have and try to bring out the best in you. And the midas that you have, other people, different people have different types of midas, but it's important to understand your own midas and to perfect them to a certain degree and to use them lataiva for tayalas for, for, for what you have to accomplish in life. But every single person has his pakuda in life. He has his own unique design, his own unique midas, and that's very, very important. Rav Hutner, Zechitzadik Lavracha, used to say that he doesn't want his yeshiva to have a sedaim bed in it. And what does that mean? He says, in sedaim, there's a medrash that says that there was a bed that was, let's say, this, this long. And every single person in sedaim had to be the same exact size. It was all cookie cutter. Everybody in sedaim, nobody could be taller, nobody could be shorter. So if a person was taller, they would cut his feet off. At, at exactly whatever it is, at exactly five six, that's where that's when the feet got. So everybody is five six. If a person was less than five six, no problem. They would put his feet and his hands on a on like a, on this bed, and then they would like take a wheel and turn it and turn and stretch the guy until he's five six also. So everybody ended up being five six, and that was uh, you know that's what Chazal say happened in Sadaim. Now obviously. I don't know if that was realistic or that was figurative, but Rav Hutner was saying, I don't want my yeshiva to be that way. I don't want everybody in my yeshiva to feel they have to be exactly the same. He says, some yeshivas have that. Every person has to dress the same. Every person has to look the same. Everybody has to daven the same way. Everybody has to think the same way. Everybody has to learn the same way. And that's fine. He says, I want my yeshiva to, to, to grow and to develop each person individually. And this was really his Messiah from Slabotka. He was a Talmud of the Altar from Slabotka. And that's what the Altar did all day with his Talmudim. The Altar was a master at studying and understanding the unique nature of every Talmud. 
and he would bring out their greatness. And that's why the Alpha and Slabotka, his Talmidim, were, were the future G'dayli Yisrael of the world. Rav Shach and Rav Aaron Kotler, Rav David Leibowitz, and uh, Rav Ruderman, and Rav Utner, and, uh, and uh, the list goes on and on. I mean, literally, the entire who's who came out of, of Tyre Jury in the last century were Talmidim of the altar, of Yaakov Kamenetsky, um, and so many others. And so Rav Hutner got this Messiah, and he said, I, that's what I want. I want my yeshiva to build individuals. And he was very successful. From Chaim Berlin came out, um, Gedalem, you know, each unique, Rav Aaron Shechter, and, uh, and Yibad Chaim, the Nava Minsk Rebbe, who was Nifter uh, last year during COVID. Uh, he was the Rebbe, he was a Hasidish Rebbe, he wore a Shreimel, he was the Rosh HaGudas Yisrael, and then you have Reb Feivel Cohen, a very big Paisik. You have Reb David Cohen, a very big Paisik. And then you have Reb Pinchas Stolper, who is like the head of, the founder, I think, of NCSY. And you have, uh, you know, people across the board, each individual, they were all talking of one man. How did that happen? Was that a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that, that the leaders, the, the head of Tyre Misaira and the head of the Agoda, and they had, they're all from one man? Is that just, I'm a, wow, what a, you know, what a, a spook. A sp- like, that, that, that's so weird, that's so strange. The answer is that this is what Rav Hutner wanted. He wanted not just that people in his yeshiva should have maise ish, that they should have accomplishments in terms of their mitzvahs, that too. But of kudasa, he wanted to make sure that every person understood their unique mission. And, you know, it's not often that you find a rabbi like Rav Hutner, that he could call you into his office and maybe tell you and guide you what your mission should be. He was able to see, Baruch Kachai, what your uniqueness is. He was able to see and, and to study you and to understand you and, and understand your unique nature and say, this is what I think you should be going for. And he would do this sometimes by, by urging doctors or future doctors to be doctors and lawyers to be lawyers and, and Gevirim to be Gevirim. But that's really what we have to think about come Rosh Hashanah I don't want to imitate people throughout my life there's a point, imitation is very important very good, but then there's another stage of our development in life that I have to start looking inward and seeing but what is me, who am I I know what other people are or what other people are trying to be but what am I not just what am I professionally, that too that's also a very important part of how we're going to develop into what we are but what am I in terms of what is my uniqueness? How am I different? How am I going to bring that difference to make a difference in the world? And that's Maisa Ish of Kudasai. And you find that fathers and sons sometimes are very different from each other. Just because your father is a certain way, that doesn't mean that you're going to be the exact same way. Like take Rebbe Chan Wasserman, for example. Rebbe Chan Wasserman was a Talmud of the Chavitz Chaim, Talmud of Chaim Brisker, a Gain Adir, a Kaddish. He, was, he died on Kiddush Hashem in the Holocaust. You will never find a picture of him smiling. He was an extremely serious individual. He was always serious. Very rarely did he smile at all. He took life very seriously. Everything about him was calculated, was was for a purpose from the beginning of his development till the very last day as he was killed by the Nazis. Everything was misudder and completely 
perfect in terms of his Hanaga. He had a son, Reb Simcha Wasserman, who lived in Los Angeles for many years. He was involved with Kirov. He started many yeshivas throughout the world, many Talmidim. He was the opposite. He was not serious. Obviously, he was a serious individual as a, you know, as a Yid, but he was, he was jovial. He joked with people. He told stories. He was alive. He was, you know, he was, he was very with the times, like almost the counter-opposite of Ochanan. They were both extremely chashev in their own ways, but he didn't imitate his father. He took from his father a lot, but then he developed himself. A more current example of this would be Reb Chaim Kanievsky, His father was a stipler. The stipler was the most serious, intense, Tamil Chacham, Gain, Tzadik that you could find. He was never laughing. He never cracked a joke. He never saw him smile. He was intense. He was Nevardik. He learned the Nevardik, which was the opposite of Slabatka. It was, it was just pure, unadulterated Musar about this world, about Sheker in this world, and how you have to get to the next world at all, and, and just driving in Anivas and, and Shiflus and all the good stuff that Musar, it's like pure Musar, unadulterated. Nothing about, you know, what Slabotka preached, which is Godless Adam, you're great, you're amazing, keep it up, you're doing an amazing job. You know, that's, that was sort of not preached so much in Navardic, more like, like just bare bones like Musser. So the stipler was very Navardic. Reb Chaim, we know, was very Kishmak. Right? That's why, one of the reasons why he was so beloved. I mean, the stipler was beloved also, but in a different way. But Reb Chaim had a sense of humor. Reb Chaim was smiling. Reb Chaim was alive. He was, you know, he, he had a chain to him that it was all his own. It wasn't that I saw it from my father and therefore I'm going to copy exactly what my father did. I'm going to be serious. That was the stipler's mission. The stipler's mission was accomplished. I have to accomplish my own mission. My own mission is I have to be warm. This is a different environment. It's a different generation. People come to me. They need chizak. I'm going to give them a smile. I'm going to give them a joke. I'm going to, I'm going to give them a bracha. That's a very different approach. But I'm just trying to illustrate how even fathers and sons are very different sometimes because that's how we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be exactly imitated. That was done already. If my father did something, then that was done. That was great. He needed to do that. I, if I feel like I'm similar to him and I want to do that same, okay, great. But it has to be understood that if I'm different than my father, I could do something different than my father. And by the way, this is true professionally also. Many times a person's father is a, a lawyer, okay? So if my father's a lawyer, I have to be a lawyer. If you want to be a lawyer, then be a lawyer, great. You know, if you feel like that's what your tchunas and nefesh is, fine. But you know how many guys come to me and say, my father's dying that I be a lawyer, but I don't want to be. It's like the last thing in the world that I want to be. I don't want to be a lawyer. So I said, well, if you're going to be a lawyer, you're crazy because that's not for you. You have to find what's good for you. You're, it's a long life. You're going to be working every day of your life. And you have to find something that, you try, that, that appeals to you, that you, can, that you can enjoy and that you can, you know, you can, you can thrive in. And obviously, if, if you don't know anything else other than law, you don't have any other brainstorms of good ideas of what to do, so then if your father wants you to be a lawyer and you got nothing, so then be a lawyer. But if you have other dreams, aspirations, so then you, you owe it to yourself to try that on for size and to see what works for you. I love a story about Rav Shlomo Freifeld, the Rashiva of Shar Yashiv. 
a pioneer of Kirov, he said that he read about the Kleisenberger Rebbe. The Kleisenberger Rebbe was, uh, had a certain Hanhaga that every morning by davening, he had like a, a loose leaf or a notepad, and he would think of something, a chiddish in davening. He'd open up a sitter at a random place, see a, see a line in tefillah, and try to like be mechadish something in tefillah. And he would write something down, and only when he had a chiddish in tefillah did he start davening. And he filled up, obviously, many, many notebooks of, uh, of Ha'aras on tefillah because of this practice. So, Rabbi Shlomo Freifeld was a very, you know, he, he liked this idea, it appealed to him. So he said, that's what I'm going to do also. So he bought himself a, a loose leaf notepad, and he uh, came to yeshiva the next morning. He had this loose leaf, he had his talus and tefillin, and, uh, you know, he came maybe half an hour before davening, and he starts leafing through the sitter. He's looking for uh, something to, you know, be mechadish. Nothing's coming to him. Nothing's coming to him. And now it's five minutes before davening. Now it's already, they started Berchus HaShachar, and now they're up to Karbanis. Now they're up to Bar Shammar, and he's trying desperately to find something to mechadish, but nothing is working, nothing's going. And now it's like, you know, anyway, after davening, he said, I learned something, I have a chiddish, Taka. It's not a chiddush in davening, it's a chiddush in me. He says that the Hanhaga of the Kleisenberger Rebbe is something that the Kleisenberger Rebbe was mechadish and that works for him. He says, but his avayda is not my avayda. That's not meant for me. And I'm not going to get depressed over the fact that I can't do it. That's something unique to him. I've got to find my own derech in life. And of course he did. But sometimes by trial and error we have to see what works for us and what doesn't work for us. What makes us feel like I'm touching upon perhaps my mission and, and, and what I'm not. And, and in life, you know, you'll, by process of elimination sometimes, you'll be able to, uh, to figure out what it is that's yours and yours alone. And there were a few people in recent history that, when I say recent history, I mean the last, you know, 10, 20 years that I think are great examples of people that figured out their pakuda, their mission in life. One was Nifter last week, two weeks ago. His name was Erbianki Meyer, and uh, or Meyer, I don't know, Meyer or Meyer, and he started an organization called Miss Askim. And Miss Askim is, uh, I think we all know it. It's a very uh, unfortunately, it became a household name because when Le'aleinu, there are people that are sitting Shiva, they bring a little aron with a safer tire, they bring chairs for the Aveil, and they bring little folding tables, and they bring candles, and they bring uh, Mishnayis printouts, and then they put the names of the people on a website or in the newspapers so that you know who's sitting Shiva and where to be Menachem and the, and the address, whatever, all, all the information that you might need to know. And if there's a crisis in Klai Yisrael, if they're looking for a missing child, if, they're, uh, you know, if there's some, uh, something that needs uh, a crisis management team, Ms. Askim, they come and they, they're, they're always coming to the rescue. They're like Atzala for these types of, uh, of life and death situations. This was something that no one was doing. It was always you know, very localized. Every shul had their own chairs and their own uh, little Aranakaidish or whatever. And he says, I'm going to globalize it. I'm going to at least nationalize it. And he did. He has you know, many van- a whole fleet of vans and he has a fleet of air conditionings for people's houses. If it's too hot in the house during Shiva, they'll bring... It's a chiddish. No one else thought of this. This one guy, Rabbi Yanki, he was... 
he came and he says, this is what we're going to do. I don't know what caused him to, be, to think of this unbelievable chesed. And he had tremendous siyat dishmaya, and I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure there were days that, you know, that money was very tight and that people weren't into what he was doing, maybe. And ups and downs. But he changed the face of Kal Yisrael. He was just nifter. He was very sick. It's nifter, I think he was 59 years old, 56 or 59 years old. A young man. And already at that age, he discovered his mission and he accomplished his mission. An amazing thing. All because he thought about what Klai Yisrael needs, and here I am, I'm going to come to the, to the rescue. Sometimes it happens because a person themselves has a need, they see a need, and, uh, and, they, don't, and, and they, they don't just sit around and say, wow, that's a shame that nobody's filling that need. They do it. That's how Hatzalah was started. There was somebody, or Herschel Weber, and he had a friend who had a massive heart attack. He watched him, like, die. He called Fidney, and Fidney took, you know, the fire department of New York, and they took, like, I don't know, a half an hour, an hour by the time an ambulance came, and his friend had died, and he said, this is ridiculous. Like, I, it's mamash le'samet al-damreyecha. How can I stand by? So normally I'd say, all right, you know, we have to protest, we have to call the governor and make sure Fidney comes quicker. That's what I think a lot of people, if they do even that, that's what they would do. He says, no, we have to make our own unique volunteer Hatzala, you know, core. And he started in Williamsburg, and then, of course, it spread to other communities, to Borough Park and to Flatbush and to Manhattan and to, and to you know, Lawrence and Far Rockaway and then out to Florida and to, you know, all over the country now, Hatzala, and all over the world. Eretz Yisrael, United Hatzala. But it all started because one man saw that this cannot go on. Something has to be done. And you know what? I might as well be the one. So he took a course in how to do basic uh, paramedics, and then he bought a little, uh, I don't know, he had a station wagon, he converted that into an ambulance. It started small. He trained other people, and before you know it, Hatzala. Amazing. One man. Like a Rav Shagav but all because he saw something needed to be done, and he says, I'm going to do that. There's a man, started an organization called Bani Elam. Husband and wife, a Hasidish couple, they couldn't have children. And they decided to start an organization uh, to help couples with infertility, that they should be able to uh, very, very expensive medical procedures to have a baby if, if Leleno, it's, you know, we're not able to. And I don't know, yeah, I think he helped, I think there are 10,000 babies already from this organization. I don't know how long it started, how long ago it started, maybe 20, 30 years ago. 10,000 Jewish babies were born because of one man, because of a couple. And it doesn't have to be, by the way, these dramatic, big, you know, historic things. It could be just something that's needed personally in your community. How about in your yeshiva? Something you might see that there's a need for something and you say, I want to do this. I, there's something that needs to be done. Let's do it. And if you do it in, in yeshiva, then you're going to take that when you go to your own community after you get married, and you're going to do something bigger and then maybe you'll do something globally. But you have to figure out what needs to be done. Why not Kaddish Baruch Hu show me this? Why not Kaddish Baruch Hu put me in this position that perhaps I need something myself? And, you know, I think the, the couple that started Darya Sharim, which screens for, you know, a chassan and a kala or a potential chassan and kala for a whole bunch of uh, genetic diseases, including Tay-Sachs, they had children. This couple that started, they had children, Leilena, that... That, that had Tay-Sachs, many children, one after another, very sick children. They said, this, is, this is crazy. We, there's a way to avoid this. They looked into it, and if you, know, if you could test beforehand, you'll save people 
Agmas Nefesh that you can't imagine. So they created this whole national and, and international data bank of, of people, and you get tested, and you have to get tested before you get married, to save how many people did not have children with Tay-Sex because of this couple. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we don't know his Cheshbainis, but this couple had children with Tay-Sex, and they didn't just mourn over that, which I'm sure they did, but then they said, but let's use this opportunity to change other people's futures, that they don't have to go through this themselves. So sometimes we have something internally, and that's, we don't have that fortune cookie that tells us, you know, what we should be doing with our life, but sometimes we do. Sometimes there are things that we ourselves struggle with, or we see ourselves as having needed or do need, and we start saying, wait a minute, maybe there is a need that if I have this need, then other people has that, might have that need also. They probably do. And so let's do something to help not only myself, but let's do something to help others. And you don't know when you put your mind and your energy and your enthusiasm behind a project, you have no idea if you have the, the necessary ingredient of siyat dishmaya, how it could just mushroom and take off beyond anything that you've ever dreamed. But that's my issue of Kudasai. We have a mission in life. We have something unique to help others, to do something for others and for ourselves and for Klal Yisrael and for the world. And on Rosh Hashanah, it's a time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks and sees if we're on our way towards that mission. And we ourselves have to also internal, look internally and make sure that we're on our path towards that mission. Not to imitate others with, for the rest of our life, but to see who I am, what I am, what is my unique contribution. And Amitz HaShem will be able to actualize it going forward. Have a Ksiva Chasimataiva, a Gutke Ben Shtiar, Lachaim Lutaivim, Lushalim, and everybody should have a have a, a year that's successful in learning, which is the most important thing, in their Davening, your Shamayim, in in Yane Gashmi, in Yane Ruchni, and in Mitzashem we should celebrate only Simchas this coming year.